Welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, a primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This program is brought to you weekly by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. Stay tuned for today's message. Good morning and welcome to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. This is Elder David Wise here with you this morning. And we share time on the program with Elder Joe Nettles from Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church. And both Macedonia and Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, we meet for worship on Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. And we'd love to have you come out and worship with us if you're in the North Mississippi area. Also, we have a meeting on Wednesday nights in Starkville, Mississippi, and we use the New Covenant Church facility at 200 West Garrett Road in Starkville, Mississippi. So come out and worship with us. If you're not in this area, go to our website, gospel-of-grace.com, and you can find a church that may be closer to you, and we would heartily invite you to a Primitive Baptist Church if you enjoy the things that you hear on the program, and also if you enjoy the program and are a regular listener, even a first time, please email us, contact us. We'd love to help you in any way, answer any questions, and just correspond with you and know that you're out there. We are thankful for you tuning in with us today. On the program this morning, we would like to consider a series on Jesus Christ in the law. We look at the Old Testament Mosaic law based on Jesus' statement in the New Testament to search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. So we see the testimony of Jesus Christ all throughout the Old Testament, but especially all throughout the Mosaic law. And we would like to consider that together here on the program. We hope you can stay tuned and we'll play this message for you right after the song.
Good morning and welcome again to the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. This is Elder David Wise here with you. We'd like to turn back to the Old Testament law, primarily the four books of the law of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. As we consider Jesus Christ in the law, remember John chapter 5 and verse 39, search the scriptures and them you think you have eternal life. They are they which testify of me. And we want to consider the testimony of Jesus in the law. And this morning we'd like to go to Exodus chapter 20, where we have the first giving of the Ten Commandments, which are considered to be just a good overall summary of God's moral law. Now, while we think about the law, we won't consider everything that's written in these books. Some of these are what we would consider to be the civil law, which are laws that just apply to the nation of Israel that don't apply to us in the New Testament kingdom that are under grace anymore. But in Exodus 20, though, we find the Ten Commandments that are a depiction of God's moral law. And God's opinion on these topics have not changed. It's not incumbent upon us to necessarily not eat unclean animals anymore. No, we can eat whatever we desire as long as it's received with thanksgiving and prayer. Well, it's not wrong for me to not trim the edge of my beard. It's not wrong for me to do some of these things that were specific, these minor laws that were specific to the nation of Israel, I'm not required to do those anymore. But God's moral law has not changed in the sense that thou shalt not kill. God's opinion on killing has not changed. God's opinion on adultery has not changed. Certainly God's opinion on having no other God before him has not changed, right? So the Ten Commandments is a good summary of God's moral law, and his opinion on that has certainly not changed. So we go to Exodus chapter 20 and consider these. And as we said last time from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 18, that Christ came to fulfill the law. He didn't come to destroy it. He came to fulfill it. And I especially like to consider these Ten Commandments in light of Christ's obedience on our behalf to these Ten Commandments. Because if we're honest with ourselves, at some point we have broken these Ten Commandments. We have put something above the Lord in our life. We have had another God before the Lord. We have. We may not have physically killed someone and been indicted on a homicide, but we probably have hated our brother in our heart, which Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount is the same as murder of your brother. Hopefully, you've never committed the external action of committing adultery with another person, but you probably have lusted in your heart after someone. So we are all guilty of these. Again, as we considered last time, that's the purpose of the law is to show how guilty we are before God. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can clearly see that we have offended just the Ten Commandments. I mean, let alone everything else that's in the law, just the Ten Commandments, we failed at all of these. There's not none of us that have not at some point or another been disrespectful to our parents that have not coveted something that wasn't ours, we're all guilty of these Ten Commandments. But the point we'd like to focus on this morning, though, is Christ's perfect obedience of these Ten Commandments on our behalf 
and then the imputed righteousness of his obedience to our account before Almighty God. So in Exodus chapter 20, the first commandment that he gives to his people, and this has been the first commandment since the beginning of time, but these laws were still in effect. It's, it's evident that thou shalt not kill was in effect when Cain murdered Abel, right? That was wrong for him to do that. And just because God had not revealed his law in a very precise way like he did hundreds of years later to Moses on Mount Sinai, it was still wrong for Cain to murder Abel, right? So all of this has been in effect since the beginning of the world. God just saw fit to reveal that and manifest that in a very powerful way with Moses on Mount Sinai. But what's the very first commandment? And this has been the very first commandment since the beginning of time, right? This uh, commandment didn't begin with Moses. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And that's essentially been, been God's theme all throughout the Bible. God will not put up with idolatry. He will not share his glory with another. He will not have his people worshiping anyone but him. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, the first three commandments speak very closely of our direct relationship with God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Number two, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Number three, in verse seven, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And there has been times that all of us have made a foolish decision. We've stubbed our toe. We've hit our finger with a hammer and we've said something we shouldn't have said. And we pray that God will forgive us for that. And we certainly hope that Christ has paid for those sins. We're guilty of that too. But think about no other gods before me, no graven image and not taking the name of the Lord in vain. Well, obviously Jesus obeyed these perfectly, didn't he? He was perfectly one with God. But as a son, as an obedient son, Christ was perfectly obedient to worship God the Father. He said many places in his ministry, but we'll highlight John chapter four and verse 34. He said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. His focus was always on extolling God the Father, right? That was always his focus. So Jesus obviously perfectly obeyed the first three commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, no graven images, and not taking the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Jesus perfectly obeyed those. Then the next commandment is the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work, but on the seventh day you rest because God rested on the seventh day. Now, as we study the Ten Commandments, we find that nine of them are reiterated in the New Testament. But the Sabbath day, to remember the Sabbath day or the seventh day, which would be our Saturday, to remember the seventh day and to do no work on that and to do no work on that day is not reiterated in the New Testament. Instead, the pattern of worship for the New Testament church was not to worship on the seventh day on Saturday. The pattern for the New Testament church was to worship on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, in commemoration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we will consider a message solely by itself on Jesus Christ as our Sabbath. And that's a very important lesson to learn that the Sabbath was not made to be legalistic. It was pointing toward rest and Christ is our rest. We worship on the first day of the week, not the seventh, and we rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that's really the New Testament application of the Sabbath. But on our behalf, that Sabbath was still in effect during the ministry of Jesus, right? So what did Jesus do on the Sabbath? What did Jesus do all throughout the Gospels on the Sabbath? 
He went to synagogue, right? He went to worship. Now he did heal on the Sabbath day and the Pharisees sure didn't like that. The Pharisees hated that he did good on the Sabbath. They hated that he healed, but he perfectly obeyed the Sabbath. So I don't have to obey that seventh day Sabbath and rest. Now it's a very good principle one day out of seven for your physical health to rest one day out of seven and to have a time of reflection to meditate on God's blessings in your life. That's a very good principle, but we are not under the commandment to observe the seventh day for worship and for resting. No, Christ obeyed that on our behalf, and that commandment was not reiterated again in the New Testament. But understand, Christ is our Sabbath. Christ is our Sabbath. The next commandment, number five, is to honor thy father and mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God shall give thee. And certainly none of us have obeyed this perfectly. Isn't that right? Surely all of us have, from time to time, backtalked our parents and said things we shouldn't have said, and we're thankful that Jesus was perfectly obedient on our behalf. But we actually find just how seriously God took this of honoring your parents in Deuteronomy 21 and verse 18. If any man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, that when they have chastened him, will not hearken unto him, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him, bring him out and the elders of the city unto the gate of the place, and they shall say unto the elders of the city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. Now this doesn't just mean that he's not listening to them. It goes beyond that. It says he is a glutton and a drunkard, which indicates this is not a three-year-old that's doing this. This is a grown man, right? A grown man that's a glutton and a drunkard and will not heed rebuke. He says, then shall the men of the city stone him with stones. So if you continue to live in a rebellious way and you dishonor your parents, God says the penalty for that's death. It's death. But Jesus, though, was perfectly obedient to his parents. And don't you know sometimes <laughs> that Jesus, the Son of God, almost had to kind of, in a very respectful way, because he didn't sin, obviously, almost kind of roll his eyes at his parents, because obviously they didn't have any problems with Jesus. But think about some of those other kids where Joseph and Mary were just like any parents do. They get frustrated, and they get a, they get a little hot on the collar, and, and maybe discipline too quickly, don't explain things properly, and just they, they make normal parenting mistakes. And don't you know Jesus was just kind of rolling his eyes of like, oh man, I had to pay for that sin right there. Uh, Mary and Joseph are sinning in the way that they're dealing with this, and I'm going to have to go to the cross to pay for that sin. Oh man, here they go again. Oh man, Joseph's had a bad day, <laughs> and he's going to discipline my brother. But in spite of all of that, it says here in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus was 12 years old, he went down, he was teaching in Jerusalem, they lost him for a little bit, and then they found him teaching, wish you not that I must be about my father's business. And then he went back home though. Luke chapter 2 and verse 51. He went down with them and came to Nazareth. And notice this, speaking of his parents. He went down to Nazareth and was subject unto them, but his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. So Jesus, despite the shortcomings of his parents, just like any other parent would have limitations, and Jesus perfectly knowing all of their limitations. Sometimes we can't see our shortcomings, but Jesus could certainly see all of them. But despite all of that, even though his parents were sinners and they made mistakes, Jesus went home and he was subject unto his parents. Now, why did he do that? The God of glory, the perfect son of God, who is all power in heaven and earth, why did Christ go home and was subject unto his parents? 
Why did he do that? Well, I would say the main reason is so that his perfect obedience to honor thy father and mother would be imputed to our account, right? So instead of God looking at you when you were disrespectful to your parents and disobeyed them, instead of God looking at your breaking of the fifth commandment, instead God looks at Christ's obedience to the fifth commandment, going home and being subject to his parents. So we're certainly very thankful that Christ did that, amen? That he went and was subject to his parents to pay the penalty and that his righteousness will be imputed to our account when we are not honoring our parents and being subject to them in the manner that we ought to. The next commandment, number six, thou shalt not kill, don't murder, don't take anyone's life. Don't hate your brother in your heart. The New Testament application there. Remember in John chapter 10 and verse 10, on the opposite end of the spectrum, Satan comes to steal and kill and to destroy. But Jesus didn't come to kill, did he? No, he came to give life. Murder takes life. Jesus gives life. And he perfectly obeyed that. Even though he had all power to righteously strike people dead here in this world, he didn't do that. He didn't kill them unrighteously. No, he was obedient to God's law. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Certainly Jesus never committed that sin. All of this heresy from Satan about inappropriate relationship with Mary Magdalene, that's just garbage and nothing in the word of God and certainly not true. Jesus was perfectly pure in his sexual dealings with everyone and in his thoughts. And none of us are pure in our thoughts. We all have lustful thoughts that make us condemned before God as rightful adulterers. Think about in John chapter 8 that there were men who were hypocrites. There was a man and a woman caught in adultery, but only the woman was on trial. Somehow they let the man go. And we could probably assume some reasons why they may have let the man go. Obviously, there was a cover-up because the man was married and he was a very prominent member of the community, most likely. But they wanted to use this as an opportunity to entrap Jesus. And then he goes and Jesus listens to him and he writes on the ground and they get convicted and they go away. And then he tells the woman there, where are your accusers at? And she said, Lord, they're all gone. They're all gone. He said, go and sin no more. But don't you love how the Lord stood up for that woman that was caught in adultery? And he said, look, he showed them that, look, you're all guilty. You're all guilty before me. You're all guilty of adultery. You're all sinners. And it's God's responsibility to judge people for adultery, not you, not you. And he said, look, go and sin no more. So Jesus stood up for a woman that had committed adultery. And on her behalf and on our behalf too, Christ's perfect obedience to thou shalt not commit adultery is imputed to our behalf. The next commandment, number eight, thou shalt not steal. And certainly Christ didn't need to steal, did he? He owned everything. And he could take loaves and fishes and feed 5,000 people with it. He didn't need to steal. But Isn't it interesting that Jesus was condemned and who was it that was released that the people chanted to be released unto them? Barabbas, who was a murderer, first of all, right? Thou shalt not murder. And Jesus took the place of a murderer and Barabbas was also a thief. And if you look at the account there with Barabbas and the two thieves on the cross, I believe if you connect those together, you will find that those three people were involved in the same sedition, in the same action, that Barabbas was really the ringleader, and he was the person who maybe physically committed murder, but the thief on the cross was at a minimum a conspirator to that murder, and the thief on the cross was a malefactor. So Barabbas and the thief on the cross 
Christ takes the place of Barabbas and Barabbas, the son of the father, is released and Christ pays the penalty for Barabbas' sin. And then we have the beautiful account of the malefactor on the cross being quickened and we find him, first of all, blaspheming and gnashing on Jesus with his teeth and then by the end of his life saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. A beautiful example of the regenerating, quickening work of God solely by immediate Holy Spirit regeneration, not by the preaching of the gospel or any other means. But notice, who was it that Jesus saved and quickened on the cross? It was a thief, right? It was a thief. And he took his sin, and in God's eyes, that thief on the cross was viewed as if he never stole anything. Why? Because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Number nine, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Think about all of the slander and false witness that Jesus had to endure all throughout his ministry, but especially think about those final four trials before his crucifixion. The only thing that they could do was bring false witnesses against him because he had lived such a holy and a righteous and a pure life, right? So not only did Jesus never bear false witness, but then he stood up and he was a acquitted of all of the false witnesses that were born against him. And isn't it difficult if someone bears false witness against you to do what Jesus did and to keep your mouth shut and not render railing for railing, right? That's difficult to do. But Jesus, as the Son of God, did not get into an argument with these people when they were bearing false witness. No, he just committed himself to him that judges righteously. And I think there were people that have told false witnesses against Jesus that he paid for those sins. I love the testimony of Jesus on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I think there were people there in an immediate presence. If nobody else, I would say the thief on the cross and the centurion. There may have been more, but at a minimum of those two, the centurion and the thief on the cross, there was a period of time where I don't think they really understood what they were doing. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I think there were people that bore false witness against Jesus that they didn't know what they were doing. And Jesus is so gracious to say, forgive them. But he paid for the penalty, but Jesus's perfect truth, remember, he's personified by truth. And he paid for our lies. He, pay, he paid for our false witness. And then thou shalt not covet. Jesus owns everything. Certainly he doesn't need to covet, right? But many times we have a desire. We see something that is not rightfully ours, but we desire it. That's beyond our scope. But we desire that. And this is beyond what we have time to consider today. But covetousness is usually the beginning of so many other sins. It says the love of all money is the root of all kinds of evil. And what that really means there is that covetousness is. And when you covet something, think about David. He coveted his neighbor's wife, which led to adultery, which led to suborning, drunkenness, and then ultimately led to murder. So what did that all start with? It started with covetousness. But Christ certainly never coveted anything, and his perfect obedience is imputed to our account. So a couple points I want to take away from this. Number one, Jesus perfectly obeyed all of these Ten Commandments, right? He came to fulfill the law. He was obedient to the law, and he perfectly obeyed all of these Ten Commandments that are now imputed to our account. Praise God for that. Amen. Praise God for his obedience that Christ can look, which is amazing to think about, by the way. 
amazing to think about, and I would encourage you to just meditate on this, that when Christ looks at me, he doesn't see me stealing Laffy Taffies as a 10-year-old from Randolph's store. <laughs> he doesn't see my sin. He doesn't see my 14-year-old lust in my heart. He doesn't see me as a sinner. He doesn't see my sins. When he looks at me, he sees Jesus. And boy, that should just make your heart feel good, right? <laughs> that should just make your heart happy. That when Christ looks at me, he doesn't look at me as me in my sinfulness. He looks at me just like the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and in verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We weren't just made to be kind of righteous. We weren't, we weren't just made in the image of righteousness. We were made righteous because the perfect obedience of Christ was imputed to our account, and it is just an amazing thing to think about. And I'll leave you with this to meditate on, that when Christ looks at you, it doesn't seem like that this could be possible, but when Christ looks at you, he looks at Christ's perfect obedience on your behalf that was imputed to your account. So that's why we are joint heirs with Christ, right? That's why there is no restriction of our enjoyment of heaven is because we have Christ's perfect obedience of all the law, but particularly those 10 commandments. We have Christ's perfect obedience and righteousness imputed to our account to where we are truly as if we had never sinned before Almighty God. And boy, aren't you just thankful for the gospel. Amen. Aren't you just thankful for that truth that we have the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ on our account with nothing that we can add to or take away from it? And we praise God for that. We praise God for his obedience and his imputed righteousness this morning. We hope this message has been beneficial for you, and we certainly pray that the Spirit will bless our continued consideration of Jesus Christ in the law. May God bless you this morning with the rich presence of his Holy Spirit. God bless. If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your area. Visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com to search for a Primitive Baptist Church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find additional contact information. This program is also available on iTunes under Podcasts with the title, The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Baptist radio broadcast. If you enjoy our program, send us an email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caldonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 
11 Staten Road on Highway 15, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. Come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 1030 and tune in next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray that God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord.